Well, welcome, church. I tell you, every week, this is the one moment that I long for more than any other to see your amazing faces. Some of you, maybe more than others of you, but I look forward to this moment. I long for it. And you can figure out who those people are, but I, I long for that moment. And so it's a joy to be in the same room together. And for those of you watching online, we're glad that you're watching us. Have you ever had a moment in your life or something that you really dreaded doing? Anybody ever had that moment? Raise your hand if you have something you dread. You know, I was looking at some statistics about things that people dread. And I found it interesting, in the top five, there were two things in particular people dread. One was going to the doctor. People dread going to the doctor. And it's not so much, I think, about going to the doctor and find out what's maybe wrong with you. It's the fact that you've got to go and you've got to do what? You've got to wait forever to get in to see the doctor. I mean, hours and hours. And then if there is something wrong with you, you've got to go to the pharmacy and you've got to wait for the prescription to get it called in or you've got to wait for them to get together. And you just dread the process of possibly going to the doctor. But the other thing that people dreaded, maybe it was like number two on the list, was going to the dentist. How many of you dread going to the dentist? Right? Yeah, I, I can't stand going to the dentist. I mean, when I go to the dentist, there's always something wrong, and they always want to put that thing in my mouth that holds my mouth open, and I just can't handle that. I mean, like, let me do that to you, Mr. Dentist, and see how well you like that. I just hate that kind of stuff. And we dread those things. But the more I thought about things we dread in life, I thought, should we really dread things that are good for us? Right? Should we dread doing things that are good and healthy for us? For example, when you go to the doctor, should we really dread going to the doctor? Because at the end of the day, when you go to the doctor, what do you hope to find out? You hope to find out if you're sick or if you're not sick or what's wrong with you, and then if something's wrong with you, they give you medication. Or in my case, sometimes they encourage things like dieting and exercise, things I'm not really excited about, but they encourage you to do that stuff. And so in the, while I dread going to the doctor, at the end of the day, what they're offering me it's beneficial to me. Or the dentist, when you go to the dentist, nobody likes going to the dentist. But should we really dread going to the dentist? Because when we go there, we find out that maybe something's wrong. We've got a cavity or we need a root canal. Or God forbid we have to have a crown put on. But at the end of the day, all those things help us because we, none of us want our teeth to rot out of our head, do we? We all know what a toothache pain feels like and nobody wants that. And so as I thought about things we dread in life, I thought, should we really dread things that are good for us? And the answer is what? No, we shouldn't dread those things. And I feel the same thing is true about the topic of trials and suffering in life. I believe for many of us, when we talk about going through trials in life or suffering in life, we have nothing more than just dread for it. We dread it coming. We don't want to see it come. We're ready for it to go. And when we talk about going through trials or we talk about seasons of suffering, we 100% dread it. And one reason we dread it is because maybe we think it's invaluable. We think this is of no value at all. Or maybe we just think it's absolutely nonsense, that there's nothing good going to come from this. But what if, hear me, what if the trials of life and suffering for the name of Christ is not only detrimental, but it is essential for our growth in Christ? Let me say that again. What if suffering and trials of this life are not only detrimental, but what if they are essential for our growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, the more I read 1 Peter, the more I look at this book, the more I dive into it, the more I think that that's exactly what Peter believed, that Peter exactly believed that the, the greatest way to growth, that, that trials and suffering is not only just detrimental for us to go through, but they are essential for us to grow in ways like we could never grow before if we had not gone through them. And the more I read 1 Peter, the more I believe that that's exactly what Peter wanted to communicate to a group of believers who were called exiles. A group of believers that were reminded, yes, you belong to the Lord, 
but you are strangers in this world. And he told them, he said, listen, as strangers in this world, you need to be prepared for suffering. Think about it for a minute. Half of the book of 1 Peter is all about suffering. Now, that's probably maybe the reason many of us have never read the book of 1 Peter, because when we get this whole idea of suffering, we don't want to talk about suffering. We want to talk about roses and daisies and gardens and, and good things. We want to talk about, and those are great things to talk about. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than thinking about what heaven's going to be like. Amen? Amen? I mean, there's nothing more exciting about that. But while we're in this world, we're going to go through some trials. There's going to be pain and suffering. And so Peter tells these early believers, you need to be prepared for it when it comes, and you need to stay focused in those seasons of suffering and in those seasons of trials. Now today we're going to see that Peter gives a final word on suffering. And I believe that what we're going to find out in this final word is that he's going to encourage these other believers that truly going through trials and suffering are essential for our growth in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you have them, turn with me to verse 12. And since it's not a lengthy passage, I'm going to ask you once again to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and the God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For this time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinners? Verse 19. Therefore, in other words, wrapping this up, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage and we dive into it, I think what we're going to see is that Peter gives a final word on this issue of suffering. A final word that for me personally leads me down the path of realizing that if I'm truly going to grow in my walk with Christ, that sometimes going through trials and sometimes going through the pain and the suffering of those trials is not only part of life, it's essential to my spiritual life. It's essential for me to grow in my faith. Now what Peter does here is he lays out four things. And the first thing he says is found in verse 12. Go back there if you would. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So the first thing Peter tells these other believers is, don't be surprised when you suffer for your faith. Don't be surprised when suffering and trials come your way. Do not be surprised. Now, if you think about that for a moment, why in the world would Peter tell these early Christians that when trials and suffering come your way, don't be surprised by that? Don't be caught off guard by that. Well, some of you would say, well, Doug, probably it's because he wanted them to expect trials. He wanted them to expect suffering. Because you know when you expect it's coming, you tend to be more ready for it, like hurricane season, right? When you think it's going to come, then you tend to be more ready for it. So when it does come, you're better prepared. And if that's kind of your answer, I would say you're 100% right. I think that's exactly one of the reasons why Peter told them not to be surprised when trials come or suffering comes. But let me tell you another reason I think Peter told them. I think Peter wanted this early church to know, these early believers, 
that don't be surprised when trials come and suffering and pain come. Here's why. Not only because you need to expect it, because trials are part of God's plan. Did you hear me on that one? That's a fun one, isn't it, right? You're like, oh, I wish it wasn't. I wish I didn't have to go through it. But I want you to hear my heart this evening, in this moment. Trials are a part of God's plan. If you don't believe me, what about the book of Job? Right? You knew I was going there. What about Job? Did Job go through a trial if he did say amen? amen? He went through a trial. Did God allow that trial to come into his life? Yep, Job chapter 1. Did that trial bring pain and suffering to Job? Yes, he lost almost everything, right? His kids, his livestock. Did Job learn some things in the midst of that trial? In fact, I think it's Job 29 when Job's like, he's complaining and he's whining, and God just says to Job, hey, Job, hey, buddy. That's Doug's translation. Hey, buddy, where were you when I put the stars into place? Where were you when I spoke the world to existence? I got this, man. Just relax. And if you look at the beginning of Job and the end of Job, what you see is a human being that went through a lot of trial, a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering, but on the other side of it, he came out strong and growing in the Lord. And I think one of the reasons that Peter says, hey, listen, I don't want you to be surprised when trials come your way because he wanted us to know that sometimes going through trials, it is God's plan. He said here, if you notice there, he said that we will experience fiery trials. We're going to go through them. In other words, there's going to be moments in our life that if we are living for the Lord, if we are living a life, honor and pleasing to him, there are going to be moments in our life that we will be insulted for our faith. There are going to be moments that we may be mistreated for our faith, or moments that we may be ostracized for our faith, or even marginalized for our faith. And when those moments come, here's what Peter says, don't be surprised. Yet we always are, aren't we? Aren't we? When those moments come, and we hear this passage, at the end of the day, we're always surprised. And then we say something like this, God, I've been living for you. God, I've been reading my Bible. God, I've been giving to the church. God, I've been faithful to 10. God, I've been sharing my faith with other people. God, I've been doing all the right stuff. Why in the world is this what? Happening to me. So when we say things like that, here's literally what we're saying to God. I believe, God, that if I live faithful, I should have an easy, smooth sailing kind of life. And I should be exempt from the trials, the worries, the sufferings, of this world and the pain of this world. But the truth of the matter is that trials are part of God's plan. And that while as believers we live in this world, we are going to go through trials. And when they come, do not be surprised, he says. Now he also tells us here in this passage, that the, second, the 12th verse, that fiery trials, that they are designed to grow us in our faith. Notice the word fiery. I love that word fiery. And actually, it's, it's a phrase. Fiery trials is a phrase in the Greek language. But the word fiery is not referring to the temperature or the intensity of the trial. It's not. Because when you think of fiery trial, you think of a really hard trial, a difficult trial, maybe something that's really intense. That's not what the word refers to at all. Fiery is not referring to the temperature or the intensity of the trial. It's referring to the purpose of the trial. And hear me on that, church. Fiery trial, the word fiery is referring to the purpose of the trial that we go through. Now, what is the purpose? 
When we go through trials that's been allowed by God, what is the purpose? When God allowed Job to go through that trial at the end of the book of Job, what was the purpose that God had for him? Here's the purpose. Write this down. The purpose is refinement. That's the purpose. God allows us to go through trials to refine us. I don't know about you, but there's some areas in my life I got some rough edges. How about you? I know some of you, and you do, right? You do have those. And we go through trials in life, and God uses that moments in our life in those seasons of suffering and pain to refine us. In fact, when Peter said a fiery trial, the original readers of this and the original hearers of this passage would have known exactly what Peter was talking about. Because what they would have thought when he said fiery trials, immediately the picture that would have come to their mind is a furnace. Now, what did they do with the furnace back then? They would take metal, and they would put it into a furnace, and they would melt the metal. And then a guy would, a worker would come along with a long iron rod, and he would put that rod into the metal, and he would stir the metal. And why would he stir the metal? To work out all the imperfections and all the impurities. So fiery trials, listen to me. Is it possible that God lets trials come into our life to work out the impurities and the sinfulness of our hearts? Yes. See, God allows trials, these fiery trials, to come into our life because they are meant, first of all, to refine us. They purge us from the impurities that are in our lives. But also he says that these trials come to test us. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trial when it comes to you as a test. That fiery trials, they come our way to test us. Now you may say, Doug, what do trials test? Well, let me give you three things they test. First of all, they test the quality of our faith. Is our faith strong or is our faith weak, right? It also tests the quantity of our faith. Do we have great faith or do we lack faith? But most importantly, trials test the genuineness of our faith. Is our faith fake or is it real? See, Peter says, listen, don't be surprised when fiery trials come your way. You're a believer. You're an exile in a broken world. You are going to go through trials. But when they come, they come as a means to grow us. They are going to refine you into the person to make you more like Christ. They're going to refine you and shape you and remove some impurities and sinfulness in your heart with the help of the Holy Spirit. As those impurities are exposed, the Holy Spirit will help you to remove them from your life. But also the, the, the trials come as a means to test us. What is the quality of our faith? What is the quantity of our faith? And is our faith genuine? Now, here's something I think we need to know about trials, and it's this. Trials don't always build faith, but they do always reveal faith. Now, I want to say it again because that's really good, and you probably need to write that down, and it's not original with me. Trials don't always build faith, but they do always reveal faith. Here's what I mean. When we go through trials in life, sometimes we find ourselves pushing back against God. So it doesn't build our faith. We find ourselves wondering why God got us into this mess. We're being faithful. Why is it happening? So sometimes trials don't really build us up because we have the wrong perspective on those trials. We have the wrong mindset when we enter those trials. But every trial we go through does reveal something about our faith, like the quantity, the quality of the genuineness. So Peter says, listen, you're going to go through trials and don't be surprised when they come because when they come as a believer, they are designed to refine us and to test us. Then the second thing he says is found in verse 13. Look with me in verse 13. He says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. 
that you may also be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. The second thing he says this, not only don't be surprised when we suffer for our faith, but secondly, rejoice when we suffer for our faith. Rejoice when we suffer for our faith. Now, doesn't it seem counterproductive to talk about joy and suffering in the same sentence? Don't they seem like opposite ends of the spectrum? But the truth of the matter is, we can rejoice in times of suffering. We can rejoice when trials come our way. Now, we're not, we don't rejoice because we're trying to find joy in the pain. We can rejoice because of what suffering means to us. Now, let me give you, tell you what it means. When we suffer for the name of Christ, first of all, he says here in the passage, it means that we have a union with Jesus, that we are united with Jesus. He says here, look back at verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you what? Share Christ's sufferings. That when we suffer for the name of Christ, we are united with him. Paul says it a little differently in Philippians. Paul says it this way. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him, listen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even unto death. Paul says, I so long to know Christ that I don't only want to know him and the power of his resurrection, I want to know him even in my sufferings. So what Peter's saying is that when we suffer for the name of Christ, when we suffer because we're living for Christ, we can rejoice in that because it's a picture of how we have been unified with Jesus. When we suffer in our pain for the name of Christ, it's a picture. Now probably nobody, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that can speak on suffering. But one thing I've learned in my life is many, many, many years ago, probably over two decades ago, I had the privilege of going to Romania on a mission trip. And where we landed was in Timișoara, Romania. That's in the, the, the easternmost part of Roma, or the westernmost part of Romania. And it's one of the places where the revolution began in 1989. And I remember our guide, he, he was our translator. He was actually the son-in-law of the pastor in Timișoara who launched the, the, the revolt or the, the, the revolution with a sermon. And he would tell us, and he would take us through Timișoara, Romania, and he would tell us where different people would hide to stay away from the communists so their lives wouldn't be taken. And I said, okay, I, I called him my name. I said, I said, Eric, what was the greatest tragedy that happened in Romania during that time. He said, Doug, what would happen is that the, the communists would literally show up in, in uh, ambulances and they would show up to the churches because people would run to all the churches, whether it was a Christian church or Greek Orthodox, it didn't matter. They would just flee to the churches. And once they get there, they felt like they were safe. But they still had to be transported out of the area or they were in fear of lo losing their life. And he said, so what would happen is the communists caught wind of that and they would drive their ambulances right up to the front door of the church and they would open up the doors and as soon as the people would begin to flood out thinking they were going to jump on an ambulance and move to safety, the soldiers would jump out and just slaughter everybody as they came out of the church. And so when I thought about suffering, I thought, I'll never know the suffering that people that lived in Romania in that time knew. In fact, there was a pastor... I never had the chance to meet this pastor, but his name was Joseph's son. He was a Romanian pastor. 
And he began to speak out during the time of revolution. And he really began to talk about our unity in Christ. And listen to what he said. He said, this union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means that I am not a lone fighter in this life. I am an extension of Jesus Christ himself. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It is not my suffering. I had only had the honor to share in his sufferings. Now, what was he saying? He was basically saying this, that when we suffer for the name of Christ, it's not just us suffering. It's as if Jesus is suffering with us. We can rejoice because we're united with Christ. That's what it means. It also means that we will share in his glory. That one day that Jesus suffered and he was glorified. That on this wor- in this world, as we suffer in the name of Christ, we need to be reminded that one day when we see him, we too will be glorified. So when we think about what does it mean to suffer, it means that we are united with Christ. It means that we will share in Christ's glory. But it also means this, that we are blessed. Did you see that in the passage? In verse 14, he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Meaning this, the reason we're blessed is not because we received the insult, but when we are insulted for the name of Christ, the reason we're blessed is because that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. Now here's why that's important for me. When I was nine years old, I gave my life to Christ. I've been a Christian, I guess, 39 years now. And I didn't have the story of getting, getting saved in my 20s and had a story of alcohol addiction and drug addiction and all that stuff. And so I'm just going to be honest. When I was growing up as a kid, I, my mom kept me in church. I read my Bible. I was part of youth ministry. I felt called to minister. I mean, I did all the right stuff. But there were seasons in my life that I struggled with. Okay, I didn't have this dramatic transformation. I mean, people that were addicted to drugs or alcohol, when they got saved, man, their world came crushing down and, and things turned around. Well, I was nine. But the worst thing I did was you know, like lie to my sister or my, or my parents. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, wouldn't, I wasn't doing anything that seemed to be morally wrong other than those things. So I wrestled with sometimes, how, what are the evidences in my life that, that Christ is in me? And it's this passage that changed me. It's this passage reminding me that when I suffer because I'm living for Christ, that is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in me and he's working through me. Because if he wasn't in me, I would not be suffering for the name of Christ. So here's what Peter says. Listen, don't just be not surprised when suffering comes. I want you to rejoice when you suffer for your faith. And not because you're looking to celebrate pain, but because you're looking to celebrate what it means. It means when we suffer for Christ, we're united with him. We will share in his glory, but also that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in me and working through me. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now, the third thing he says is this, verse 15 and 16. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be what? Ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. Now, here's what he says. Thirdly, don't be ashamed when we suffer for our faith. Don't be ashamed. Now, out of the gate, Peter says there, hey, don't be caught suffering for evil things. He mentions such things as murder. He mentions being a thief or meddler. He says, listen, don't be caught suffering for doing evil because there's no honor in that. There's no blessing when you suffer for doing stupid things. Don't be, don't be caught suffering for all the wrong things and the evil things. Rather, let our suffering come for how we live for Christ. See, when we suffer for the name of Christ, that is honorable. That does bring blessing. 
And when we suffer for the name of Christ, listen, do not be ashamed. Now, when you think about shame, and I thought about shame, I thought, why, most of the time, why do people feel shame in their life? Well, I thought about a couple of things. One is I thought, or a few things, I thought, you know, sometimes people feel shame when they feel like they're being foolish. For example, let's just say here that, uh, that I, I challenged, um, let's see here, I challenged Don, all right? I said, Don, listen, I know you're, you're, you like to, to, get, to fish, and, and we're going to go fishing, Don, and, and I'm just going to tell you, man, I'm going to skunk you when we go fishing. I, I can catch more fish than you ever dreamed of catching, Don, because I'm going to smoke you when we go fishing. I mean, I'm going to flat wear you out. Are you with me on this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear you out, and then we go fishing. And Don catches like 47,000 fish, and I catch none. There's a point in that moment that I feel foolish for bragging about something I should have never been bragging about. I would feel what? Shame. One reason people feel shame is because they're foolishly bragging about something they shouldn't be bragging about. Another reason is because people are afraid they're going to get made fun of. You know, there's times I've been counseling with different people, and I always love hearing people's stories of their life. And there's sometimes that people are very reluctant to share their story because they don't want to talk about an alcoholic father that they had. They don't want to talk about an abusive mother because they feel like if you know their story, you're going to judge them, maybe make fun of them, and they feel shame in that moment, right? So one reason people feel shame is they don't be made fun of. And I think another reason people feel shame is because they don't want to feel out of place. They just don't want to fill out a place. It's like they don't want to go to a black tie affair in shorts and flip-flops. Because when you walk in, everybody knows you don't fit here. Now hear me. The world would want to say to us as believers that suffering for the name of Christ is shameful. Think about it. You are suffering for a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. You are suffering for a guy that was nailed to a tree. You are suffering for a guy, the very people who followed him, and on one day declared that he was God, three days later said, put him on a cross. And you're going to suffer for that guy? Listen, if you suffer for him, that is shameful. And so many people cower and choose not to live boldly for Christ. Why? Because they don't want to be viewed as foolish. They don't want to be made fun of. And they don't want to feel like they don't belong. But Peter is exhorting these readers, ignore those people. Pay no attention to those people that insult you, that revile you, that reject you. Don't listen to them. You just keep living in a way, he says, that glorifies God by that name. In other words, you just keep living in a way that honors him and making the difference that Christ wants to make through you. And do not be ashamed because the one that you're living for is the one that's changed your life. Don't be ashamed of Christ. That's what Peter's saying. He says, listen. No matter what the world says, you just keep living in a way that brings honor and glory to his name. Now look what he says next in verse 17 and 18. He kind of adds to it. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, what he says, listen, there's going to come a time when God's going to settle the score. And it's better for you to suffer now for the name of Christ and experience eternal reward than to cruise through life now rejecting Jesus and experience eternal condemnation. He says, listen, here's what God's doing. God is beginning with the church. God's refining the church right now. God's doing some things to discipline, to correct, and to get the church going the right way. Why would he do that? Because he knows that we are the vehicle to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants his church doing and being the right thing. But there's going to come a day that those who reject the Christ are going to stand and they're going to have a trial. 
But that trial is not going to be a trial of refinement and testing. That's going to be a trial of condemnation. That's going to be a trial where there's going to be eternal separation. So here's what Peter's saying. Listen, it's better for you to suffer now and experience reward than to cruise through life now and experience eternal condemnation. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like to fly? Anybody like to fly? Okay, like three of us. The rest of you, okay, you're drivers. I'm not. I'd fly home tonight if I could. So, you know, we, we like to fly. Let me ask you this question. Would you rather? Have you ever played the game, would you rather? We're going to play tonight, all right? Would you rather, would you rather fly on a plane that was smooth sailing with a crash landing or a plane that had a bumpy ride that landed safely? Which one would you rather fly on? I, some of you are like, nah, if, if there's a debate for you, there's a problem, right? We probably need to talk. We all prefer the second, right? And the same thing is what Peter's saying. Listen, we're going to go through life, and life when we live for Jesus, it's bumpy, isn't it? Come on, church, is it bumpy? You know it's bumpy. We face trials of all different kinds. But we know when this life ends, that there's a reward that waits for us. So he says, listen, don't be ashamed when you suffer for your faith. And there's one more thing he says as we wrap this passage up, verse 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says this lastly, last of all. He says, trust God when you suffer for your faith. Trusting. There's, there's a word there that's used. It's called entrust. He says, entrust your souls. That word entrust is a banker term. And it literally means to deposit for keepsakes. In other words, the deposit for, for safekeeping is what I'm trying to say. He says, you deposit something and let someone else keep it safe. He says, listen, I want you, when trials come your way, when suffering comes your way, when pain comes your way, I want you to deposit your souls to your creator for keep safe so he can keep it all safe. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, our souls? Well, I said it last week. The souls, the, the Greek word for soul is the word psyche, and it literally means the seat of our emotions. Because here's what I know about Doug. When I go through trials in life, it's emotional, isn't it? When I go through suffering and pain in life, it's emotional, isn't it? And oftentimes I respond out of emotion instead of responding out of wisdom. He says, listen, when you go through trials and you face suffering and you face pain, don't try to do this thing on your own. You entrust God with your emotions and know that he's got you. And he's going to take care of you. See, entrusting ourselves to God is basically being willing to commit to say, Lord, when I face trials of any kind, I trust that you have a plan. That you do have a purpose in this. And that you do have a place that you want to grow me to that I can only get there by going through this, not around this. See, when trials come, most times, we try to figure them on our own. How do I get out of this? And what Peter says, when they come, just trust God with it. Now, when you look at the passage here, Peter has given us a final word. And what Peter has encouraged these early believers to do says, listen, you are going to go through trials. So don't be surprised when trials come your way. Don't be surprised. They're coming. And when they come, just know this. They're there to refine you and to test you. So don't be surprised. And when you go through trials, rejoice. Not because you're trying to find joy in the pain, but because of what it means. When you suffer for the name of Christ, you are identifying with Jesus. You're uniting yourself with him, and his glory will be your glory. And it's evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in you. So rejoice. 
And when you go through trials and you go through suffering, you go through pain, don't be ashamed for suffering for the name of Christ. Keep living in a way that brings honor to him. And when you go through trials, here's what he says, trust God when you suffer for your faith. Now, something I want you to think about with me just for a moment. For all of us as believers that are in the room and those that are watching, as we live for Jesus, can we disagree and say this, as we live for Jesus, that pain and suffering and trials are real? Can we say that amen to that? We know they're real, don't we? Right? We know they're real. But what if? What if, instead of wallowing in those things, what if we said, Lord, would you take the suffering I'm going through and would you use it? Would you take the trial, Lord, that I'm going through and use it? Well, use it for what, Doug? Well, use it for a lot of things. First of all, maybe you could say, God, would you take the trial I'm going through, the suffering, the pain I'm going through, and would you use it to maybe lead a lost person to you? See, here's what I know about people. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're living in the world for Christ, people are watching you. And when you go through trials and you go through difficulties and you go through pain, people are watching how we respond. And is it possible that we could say, God, even though I'm going through this trial, even though I'm going through this suffering, would you use it to bring somebody closer to you? Or God, could you use this trial in my life to remind me how dependent and how desperate I am for you? Or God, could you use this trial in my life to, show me, to help me figure out what empathy looks like so I can empathize with those that are like me that are also hurting. Many, many years ago, probably when I lived in St. Louis, like in 2002, I had a dizzy moment. We're going to talk more about that August 23rd in a series we're going to launch, but I had a really dizzy moment. Now, before that moment in 2002, I was the guy, and don't, don't throw anything at me, because right now there's nothing in the pews to throw at me, but don't throw anything at me. This is just where I was. I was in my, my early 30s, and so this is just where I landed. I just felt like, you know, this idea of depression and anxiety and all that, my heartbeat really was this, and it was wrong, and it was bad, but my heartbeat was basically this. Hey, just suck it up, buttercup. It's mind over matter. And then in 2002, I had a dizzy spell that turned into a lot more than a dizzy spell. It turned into a massive case of vertigo and some things. And in, out of that came some anxiety that I still wrestle with almost two decades now. And if you ask my wife, here's what she would tell you. That God allowed that trial to come into my life to help me to empathize with people that are hurting that before I had never empathized with. Now, if you're Doug, you're thinking, okay, God, I've learned my lesson. It's been 18 years. I got it. Can we move on? But at the end of the day, I have learned to say, God, can you take this trial that went through? I mean, I, that was not a trial for suffering for Christ. That was something that came on me. Maybe it was like Paul's thorn in the flesh. But regardless, it's something that I went through that brought pain and brought suffering into my life. It brought some anxiety. But now God has helped me take that and be able to empathize with other people that are hurting that maybe struggle with depression, maybe struggle with anxiety. Instead of me chalking it off to, hey, it's mind over matter, I realize that pain, that suffering, it's real. I need to walk a journey with them. So what if we ask God to take our trials, our pain, our suffering, and use it to make a difference in our lives and the lives of other people? And what if we ask God to change our perspective on the trials we go through? Instead of viewing those trials as nonsense and as useless, maybe we start viewing those trials as essential for our growth. Or we start viewing those trials as an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. So as the band comes, let me just tell you my prayer for us this evening. My prayer for us this evening is that we would stop wallowing around and stop, stop being so surprised when trials come our way. 
That we would realize that trials come for a purpose. That's to refine us and to test us. That we would just stop wallowing around in our own pity about the pain and the suffering that we're going through. That we would stop wallowing around and, and feeling so much shame when people persecute us for our faith. And that we would stop trying to figure out what we're going through by trying to do it on our own instead of leaning on Christ. My prayer for us tonight is this. Hear me, church. Is that we would heed the words of Peter. That we would hear his words. We would heed those words. And we would live these words out. So my challenge to us as believers is very simple. My challenge is would we have the courage in this moment, whether we're present or we're watching this thing, in this moment we have the courage to just simply say, Lord, take my suffering, take my trials, take my pain, and would you use them? Use them to bring honor and glory to your name. God, would you take my trials and my suffering and would you help me think about them differently than I've ever thought about them before? May I see them as essential in my life and an honor rather than nonsense. And if you're a follower of Christ, I pray that you would take that challenge. And maybe for those, there's those that, are, that don't have a relationship with Christ. And one thing I want you to be reminded of in the passage, and it's this, is that Peter reminded us that there's a day coming for those that have rejected Christ, that there's going to be an internal condemnation that's coming their way. And the only way to escape it is through a personal relationship with Jesus. How do I get there? Here's how you get there. By admitting you're a sinner. By believing that Jesus truly did die on the cross as the Savior of the world. And by confessing your sins and trusting him with your life. And my prayer is that as believers, we would take this challenge. As those that don't know Christ, that you would receive him in this moment. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me, if you would. Everybody stand as we pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for this moment we've had in this hour. And God, I, I know that when you talk about pain and suffering and trials, it's not always the most encouraging thing. But I see encouragement in the passage. I see Peter reminding these believers, it's coming. But it has a purpose, a purpose to make us more like Christ, to refine us, a purpose to test the quality, the quantity, and the genuineness of our faith. That even when trials come, Lord, we can rejoice, not because there's pain with it, but because we are identifying with Jesus. Just as Jesus suffered, we are suffering. And Lord, I pray as believers, we would say, we're not going to be ashamed when we suffer for the name of Christ. We're going to keep living in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. And that, God, I pray that when trials do come, that we would trust you with them. We wouldn't spend our time trying to figure things out. We would just lean in and press into you and hand them off to you. So, God, I pray for believers. I pray that we would take that challenge, that we would truly ask you, Lord, would you take our trials, would you take our suffering, would you take our pain, and would you use it in our lives to change us and to impact somebody else? that we would take that challenge, Lord, and ask you to take our view and our perspective of suffering and trials and pain and change that from something that is, that is painfully uh, nonsense to something we feel like is, is just is this waste of time to something we view as essential and something that we view as an honor. We find honor and suffering for the one who suffered for us. So God, may we take this challenge. And for those who don't know you, Lord, May they say yes, because there is a day coming where they have to give an account. And may they truly trust you in this moment. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now hear me for a moment.
when we go through trials, sometimes our hearts are left scarred up, aren't they? We're left hurting, empty, frustrated. And I believe this song that we're about to sing is a perfect song, a song that needs to be our declaration as we go through seasons of trial. Songs that declare that no matter what comes our way, we know God's got it. We know God's in control. And that no matter what comes our way, God, what you choose to do, it's well with my soul. So may, be, may this be our anthem in seasons of trials. Let's worship together.